<laughs> What's up, Altrich fam? It's your boy here. We are doing our second podcast right now. I'm pretty excited about this. I have some really cool things that I want to talk with you all about, and I hope that everyone enjoys. So today we are going to be talking about work, work in the modern era. I want to describe a little bit about the history of work. I want to talk to people about where we came from, where our ancestors, kind of the way our ancestors lived, and then try and connect everything together with describing the current situation that so many of us find ourselves in and elaborate a little bit more on why it is that so many of us are slaving away, working super long hours, crushing it at our jobs, but not really crushing it in life. So let's begin. So I've got a cool picture here you all can't see, but it's describing the life of the modern man. It's one of those cartoons where you see the evolution of an ape from their ape walking on all fours ancestors into the caveman to the Romans and then you have a man sitting typing away on his cell phone hunched over overweight looking sleepy tired and sad that's what a lot of us feel like nowadays so the life of the modern man for many of us and women if you all get offended easily wake up work consume and go to sleep rinse and repeat you might have a few days on the weekend where you get to enjoy yourself live your true life or if you're like a lot of us, you might just drink yourself into oblivion until 6 a.m. on Monday morning when you have to become an adult again. So this is not a normalized lifestyle. This is not a healthy lifestyle. This is a product of our culture, a product of modern society. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about the history of work. So originally, we all can trace our roots back to some kind of hunter-gatherer society. Life was a lot simpler back then. Obviously, there was a lack of technology. People were using stones. Some people had metal, but for the most part, what people were doing, they were leveraging the natural resources in their environment, i.e. gathering, and then they were hunting to get additional caloric intake. So there's actually a really, really interesting study by a guy named Marshall Sahin. He wrote an article or an essay called The Original Affluent Society. And he made the claim that people in these hunter-gatherer societies were working like three to four hours a day. And so he referenced some like actual data from, I believe it was a few different indigenous tribes that are in Africa that are still doing these foraging hunter-gatherer lifestyles. And he found that even in these modern era situations, these people were still only working three to four hours a day. So imagine, imagine that life, like you wake up in your like tent or your hut or whatever it is, you maybe mill around for a couple hours. Uh, maybe the women and the children, they go out to forage. They're gonna go pick some berries and some roots and stuff like that. The men are like chilling and they get together like, hey bro, you wanna go hunt something? Like, yeah, like we didn't get anything yesterday. We should probably do something today. You go hunt for a few hours, like kill a boar, or something like that. Hopefully it goes well. Hopefully no one got hurt. And then voila, you're done for the day. You might come back, prepare the meat, cook the food have a huge feast and then just relax. It's like, it's a pretty chill way to live. And uh, we think they were so inept. So many of us have so much disregard for the value in simplicity and the value in leisure that we think these societies were backwards and uncivilized. But 
when you when you ask yourself that same question when you're racing down the highway because you're late for work and you're stressed and you're on 17 different medications because your body's failing you because you work 60 hours a week and you have no personal health then who is the real crazy one who is backwards in terms of technology so it's just an interesting perspective that not a lot of people have i don't think we really got taught that in school that the hunter gatherers kind of had it going on like obviously they didn't have the same amenities or the same comfort that we do have in the modern world but they also paid a lot less to live their life in terms of meeting their base needs than we currently do in terms of our time consumption our time expenditure to maintain our lifestyles so that's an interesting perspective that many people don't have the next big era in humanity was the advent or came with the advent of agriculture so we started to cultivate crops and we also started to domesticate animals and what happened was we went from having a landscape with a distributed amount of natural resources or for the most part in this case food to having condensed areas of food and so with this condensation of food resources you had more and more people that started living in these societies and in these cities and so when you have people who start to in, when you whenever you increase like density of populations that's when you start to have fighting like if imagine you're in a hunter gatherer world and like you get mad at someone and they're like maybe someone picks up an apple that you wanted to be like bro why'd you do that it's like yeah i really want the apple and it's like oh okay whatever i'll just go get another one like there was not a lack like the populations were constrained based on the carrying capacity of the ecosystems that where they were in if a group of people were too large for their ecosystem they either moved or some of those people starved and it renormalized you never had a situation where there was uh, a lack of resources relative to the individuals or the organisms there in the environment and so with agriculture we have this condensation or this increasing of density in, in terms of resources and also people and then we also saw a pretty big uptick in work along with agriculture the main reason for that is with agriculture your work hours for the most part revolve around crop cycles and so when you're preparing your fields you want to do that as quickly as possible because you want to be able to harvest your crops as quickly as possible so maybe you have a week where you're working 12 hours a day every day and then you probably take a little break because you're just waiting for the seeds to sprout and then you have a maintenance period and then you have a harvesting period at that harvesting period again like if you don't harvest everything in time you might lose crops you might decrease your crop yield so again you have one of these what i'll call sprints and you have a big extended period of like high level energy expenditure and then after that you have a big rest so in a lot of like these historical societies you see these big leisure and these big holiday periods like after after harvest they always had a really big holiday and at the in the winter they'd always have big holidays like i'm i'm looking at this thing it's a book called the discussion of holidays during the middle ages a woman named edith rogers wrote it and she's she's making the claim that using historical evidence i'll be it so i can i'll link all these sources in the notes below but they're making the claim that people in france i believe in the 1600s were guaranteed 52 sundays so every sunday off 90 rest days and 38 holidays so all in all that's almost 200 days of rest it's a little bit less it's uh it's 180 days of rest they're working half of the year in the modern culture people most people are working i believe it's like 250 or so days a year so that's like a 50% increase just under a 50% increase in what they were doing back in the dark ages in spain there is a claim that people were guaranteed 5 months of holidays per year 
this five months of vacation, y'all. It's not including the weekend, and maybe they were working every day during the non-holiday period, but still there was extended intentional periods of rest, which is something that we've really kind of let go of in this culture. And the time that this really began, this workaholic mindset began, was at the advent of the Industrial Revolution. So what the Industrial Revolution did is it allowed us to harness uh, mechanical energy or harness fossil fuels. So we can take these really, really dense energy resources, we can convert them, and then we can use them for work. And so along with this also came electricity. Thanks, Benjamin Franklin. I know it wasn't actually you. I think it was like fucking Tesla or someone like that who actually invented electricity. But we all know that Benjamin Franklin got it in the record books, so we're just going to say it was him. But so with electricity, people can work 24 hours a day. Prior to electricity, when the day ended, when the sun went down, you had a candle. Like you might like use it to cook, but you're not gonna be doing something really, really demanding. You don't have the capacity to do that without electricity. And then in addition to that, we have the invention of the steam engine, which allowed for mechanical energy to be harnessed. And so that's when you start seeing factories, you start seeing the relocation of resources across countries and that's when you see a really really big uptick in potential work capacity so prior to that you could plant as many seeds as you want every day and you're still only going to have so many plants that's just how farming works with the industrial revolution you have a massive increase in potential work capacity and so people during the beginning of the industrial revolution were easily working 60 plus hours a week with a lot of people in manufacturing areas areas working like 80 hours a week this is like the silicon valley people of today and there's a reason for that like when your whole when all you need to work is a laptop and a wi-fi connection then you can work all the time and with the right drugs you can work 100 hours a week consistently for a period of time before your body starts to fail and so when you have this culture ethos that is all about productivity in pushing product and creating things as quickly as possible so that you don't run out of funding, it's really, really, really incentivizing people to work more and more and more. And so <coughs> what we saw during the 19th century is an increase in the unionization of workers to demand increased working rights. And so there was a series of different industries that started to have their own unions and they started demanding increased worker rights. The really the beginning of this kind of modern worker movement uh, started around in the 1860s. So a big thing was in 1869, Ulysses S. Grant created a mandate that said that all government workers would be working an eight hour workday during their week and they could not have any decrease in pay even if they, had, if they were working less now. So that created essentially like a 48-hour work week. Most people are working Monday through Saturday, and so that was kind of the beginning of the modern work era. In 1926, Henry Ford issued a stand statement creating his 40-hour work week for his production fa fa uh, facilities. So that was the beginning of the 40-hour work week, and then it was cemented, I believe, in 1938 by the Fair Labor Standards Act. So in 1938, we really have the finalization of this 40-hour work week. This is the modern work week. And so this has been pretty standard across the 20th century. But interestingly enough, we start to see an uptick in average hours worked in the 1970s. So I have my own personal conjectures on why this happened. I want to share a little bit about why I think it happened. But I also want to give you all the space to ask yourself the question, why is it that we are really working more than we did in the past? So 
In the 1970s, three interesting things happened. So Nixon debased the US dollar, removing the gold backing and turning it into a fiat currency. In addition to that, we started to see beginning in debt expenditure, or our, in, we started to see uh, the beginning of the current like uh, debt spending cycle or debt spending scheme of the United States. If you look at the US national debt over time, there's two big upticks in the 20th century. One for World War One and one for World War II. Understandably, wars are expensive, but after World War II, you see a constant downward, like downward movement in the United States national debt until the 1970s, the end of the Nixon era. And then from then, you have this constant upstream of national debt, and that's because we started all this debt spending, where we started spending much, much more than we than we did. The, or then we created and the only reason that was possible is because the US dollar was debased from the gold standard prior to that we were limited to how much money we could create or the Fed could create based on our gold reserves when the US dollar was removed from being backed by gold you now have this unlimited amount of money potential that could be created by the Fed and so the last thing that's interesting is the United States average work week per, per worker began to increase in the 1970s <clears throat> and so my opinion is this, we have this country with runaway spending, like exponential, exponential, exponential increase in our debt over time. We have to find a way to pay for that. All of the country's revenue comes from tax income. And so what we need is we need citizens that are generating more taxes. And the way they do that is twofold. They have to make more money and then they have to consume more. And so we, we exist in this weird psychic space right now in the United States of like excessive consumerism. It's so celebrated to buy things. Like everyone, everyone and their mother wants to buy things all the time. There's a reason for that. You get a big dopamine release when you buy something. But what most people don't really realize is that we're actually kind of been tricked into this state of consumerism. No one really needs an iPhone. No one needs to buy a new cell phone every six months but it's so culturally accepted and it's actually deviant. It's culturally deviant to not be a consumer. Like if you don't have enough money to buy a fancy car, you will be shunned in our society. And so we have all of these social pressures that are leading people to consume more. If you want to fit in, if you want to feel accepted, if you want to feel successful, you need to have a certain base level of income in order to have that base consumption level. And so then people are working more so that they can actually make ends meet and they can start living this kind of this idealized life that we'll call the modern American dream. And so the last thing that kind of like rounds the whole thing off, makes this lovely picture of the United States, is if you look at the inflation value, the inflationary value of the US dollar over time. So I'm looking at a chart right now and it's showing 1910, one to one is the value of the US dollar. In 2015, the US dollar is worth, it's 2000%, it's, it's, yeah, it's 2000% less valuable than it was in 1910. So what that means is one, $1 in 1910 would buy $2,000 worth of goods. I believe that's correct, it might be, so it's it's 2,300%, so I think I'm actually incorrect. I think it means that one US dollar in 1910 would be equivalent to 2,300, or excuse me, $230 in the modern era. But so that's a humongous increase. Like we, a lot of people out there are aware of some of the countries in the world that are experiencing hyperinflation. I'll use Venezuela as an example. So in Venezuela, the money is so invaluable that you can actually use it as a, 
like a natural resource to heat your house. It's cheaper to heat your house with dollar bills than it is to buy stove fuel or to buy wood. And so we have excessive inflation in the United States, just no one really is aware of it. And the reason for that is you have these government agencies that are controlling like the consumer cost of goods or the consumer basket of goods that's supposed to be a measure of the worth of a dollar, but then they actually control what's in that basket so they can change what is in that basket and then they show you and they say, oh, they're buying the same amount of stuff, but they changed what you're saying you're buying. So it's a really convoluted system. And there's a lot of kind of intricacies to it. I highly recommend that you do more research, like learn about the Federal Reserve, learn about the monetary system, learn about <coughs> where all of our money goes in the United States and where your tax money goes to. But what you really need to be asking yourself is, and the question that's really important is, are all of these things that I'm spending my time to create and to earn, are they really worth it to me? Are they providing me fulfillment? Are they increasing my long-term health and happiness? And are they really satisfying my wants and my needs? So if you say you're an artist and you have this internal drive to paint, you can go to a museum and you'll satisfy that. But what you're doing is you're consuming someone else's content, you're consuming someone else's product. Almost always you're gonna be paying for it as well. And then once you leave that environment, you'll again have that internal stimulus that you haven't satisfied. And so a lot of people in our culture they're looking to satisfy this kind of internal fulfillment, this internal drive that we all have. But because so many of us have been misled into this path of consumerism, they're trying to satisfy it through materialism and consumption. And that's never, never, never like a successful approach. Because what, you're, what everyone is experiencing is when you buy something, you, you create a dopamine response in your system. Anytime you purchase something, your body is gonna dump dopamine into your brain and into your bloodstream. That's gonna create a really, really positive emotional response for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes. When you have microtransactions, and people don't really realize this, but like when you, when you go on Facebook, you're buying something. You're buying socialization and you're paying your time for it. So when you open your Facebook app, what you're getting paid in is the notifications that you see. And so you can have this dopamine microtransaction every 30 seconds. You keep pinging this neurotransmitter in your brain and eventually your endocrine system starts to diminish in what it can produce over time. So people ask themselves, oh, I'm feeling so depressed. Like, it's because you've been a fucking drug addict for years connected, connecting your brain directly to social media and relying on some external stimulus to moderate your emotional and hormonal state. And so when you step away from that, you realize that your fucking adrenal system, your endocrine system, and probably other aspects of your health are burned the fuck out. Like, there's a reason that when people go on vacation, they sit on the beach all day and drink Mai Tais. It's because they're probably exhausted in their normalized life. People don't realize this if you consume coffee every day. Like, a lot of people don't even realize this about coffee. Coffee doesn't give you energy. <coughs> what caffeine does it blocks the receptor for a chemical in your body that lets you feel tired. So coffee inhibits you from experiencing fatigue. It does not give you energy. It stops you from being able to feel fatigued. So when you have people that are in this constant drug cycle, they're taking caffeine, they're taking antidepressants, they're taking anti-anxieties, they're using alcohol, they're using stimulants, they're using psychedelics. <clears throat> maybe they're taking painkillers, maybe they're on all these other things. 
you're in this constant drugged state and you can't really consciously or physiologically realize that there's something wrong. And so a lot of people will find themselves trapped. They're not aware of it. They're subconsciously going through this experience where they work all day doing something they don't want. They drug and medicate themselves, whether it's self-medication or medication from the doctor 24-7. And then they just keep going through it because they've been numbed so efficiently that they don't have the stimulus to question what they're doing. And so, again, to kind of, to kind of bring everything back together, you really need to ask yourself the question, is, is what I'm doing worth it? If you, if you have something you care about, something you're passionate about, and you're working hard for that, that's wonderful. But if you're sacrificing your health, your life, and your well-being, your whole life for something that you don't care about at all, that's what you really need to say, is this worth it for me? And the answer that I've always come to is, unless I'm doing something that I'm really passionate about, that I know is gonna impact me and the world around me in a positive way, it is not worth it. It's not worth it to lose sleep. It's not worth it to be stressed out. It's not worth it to sacrifice my health and my well-being. So <clears throat> I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you found some interesting tidbits and some, some new insight and a perspective that you haven't held before. I'm going to link most of these things, if I can remember them all, in the show notes below. And figure out, to kind of summarize everything, figure out what it is that you're craving. Figure out what fulfills you and then fill your life with those activities. You don't have to conform to anyone else's standards. You don't have to be, you don't have to live your life for anyone else. Figure out what works for you and then live that life. All right, that's it for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed and uh, be sure to stay tuned for next week's podcast. All right, bye. What is up, Altrich fam? So we're here today. This is our third episode. We got the third podcast going on right now. I'm hanging out here in Atlanta on the Beltline. The uh, weather is beautiful out today. It's a little chilly, a little cold, but uh, it's nice. It's kind of my vibe. And so today, today we're going to be talking about why. Why, why, why? Why, bro, why? Yeah, so the theme of today's podcast is understanding your why. Before your what, before your how, before your who, before your anything, you need to know why. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, when things start to get tough, when you start being faced with challenges, start being faced with challenges, you're really going to struggle. So your why is everything. <clears throat> so we're going to start it off a little fierce, y'all. <laughs> get pretty deep pretty quick. So life is meaningless. <laughs> We exist in this universe surrounded by billions and trillions of light years of nothing. Like, as far as we are aware, and this may or may not be correct, but we are the only sentient life forms within this whole solar system. Think about that. The solar system, I don't even know how big the solar system is. It's humongous. It's conceptually inconceivable. And that's one solar system in the universe which is filled with solar systems. So... We are these carbon-based life forms on this planet in the middle of nowhere. We're all going to die. We're all going to get eaten up by little worms and bacteria, and then nothing will be remembered of us. So why, why am I going here? Well, it's because even though that is part of our reality, we also have a different reality. That's the personal perspective. It's your internal perspective. It's what you choose, what, the way you perceive the world around you. So what are, what are you going to do while you're here on life, while, while you're here on earth? 
What are you gonna spend your time doing? We have this short lifespan, like 60 to 80 years, and we all get, in a real way, we all get an even playing field. And so obviously there is discrepancies, there's differences in our upbringing, there's differences in our culture, there's differences in our even genetics. But we're all here on Earth and we all get 24 hours in the day. So how are you going to spend those 24 hours? Where, how do you choose how do you spend those 24 hours? Those are the real questions we're trying to get at. So if we, a lot of us, a lot of us choose meaning or value systems that were created by another entity, another person. Maybe this is your religion, maybe this is your government, maybe this is your family, your culture. But my goal is to help you create your own value system. I want you to ask the questions, what is important to me? Why am I doing th these things? Why do I feel this way? And then from those answers, you create your own decision-making model. So when we, when we live our life for others, we're giving up our personal ambitions. When we go become a doctor because our parents want us to, or we go to school because society demands it, it, it of us, that's when we are succumbing to these external pressures and we're forsaking our own per personal internal ambitions and drives. Each time we say yes to someone else's request, we give up a bit of our personal freedom. And then this is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not kind of, I don't want to preach that we should be insolent. Is that a good word? I don't think we should all be, we should disregard other people. We shouldn't just say no to everything, but you have to realize that there comes a balance between saying yes to other people because they're asking and because you want to help and saying yes to everyone because you're not willing to say yes to yourself. If you're never saying yes to yourself, then you're going to run into a problem. But either way, the most important question we really need to all be asking is why? Why are we doing these things? Most of us never really take the time to ask why we are doing the things that we're doing. And why should we? If everyone else is doing the same thing, then it must be okay. This is the mob mentality. This is the group think at its finest and at its worst. We, we desire social acceptance. We are these social creatures. And if everyone around us is wearing a red t-shirt, then it makes it very, very, very easy for us to wear a, t a red t-shirt of our own. But the problem only arises when you want to wear that purple shirt and you're battling against yourself because you feel that you'll stand out or you might not be accepted or you might be judged. So that's what we're trying to really understand and really kind of work through that is how can we, how can we be authentic to ourselves while we are living in this society? So since fairly, fairly few people really ask these why questions, we, a lot of us end up with inadequate self-discovery that leads us to living hours, days, weeks, and years doing the things that we really don't want to do simply because someone else told us to do these things. We've all ran into that person who's 30, 40, 50, 60, and they've never quite been happy. And it's because they've spent their whole life living someone else's life. We all kind of know the framework. If you grew up in the States, at least from my perspective, what it was is you went to high school, you went to college, you got a job, created a family, you worked for a while and then you retired. That was a system, a formula. Every country, every culture has their own formula for this kind of normalized success. But the problem is it doesn't always work. What if you don't want to go to college? What if the colleges that are available don't teach the things that you want to learn about? So a lot of us, well, everyone, everyone ultimately has this 
pre-formulated response encoded into them through their throughout their upbringing. That's what childhood is about. <laughs> childhood is about being programmed by the culture around you. And when you realize that, you start to see, oh, wonderful, these people taught me discipline, they taught me work ethic, they taught me morality, but they also taught me these other things, and it's those other things that we want to consciously analyze and choose whether or not we want to retain. So we exist in a world full of people that are searching for their own personal meeting. Got a big, big shout out, big up, big up. Big shout out to uh, Victor Frankel. This guy is a thug, fucking straight OG. He went through the Holocaust. He was the only member of his family to survive the Holocaust. And I don't think he's alive anymore now. Correct me if I'm wrong. But now what he's or what he did is he created a series of books. One of them is Man's Search for Meaning. This is a wonderful, wonderful book. I highly recommend it. And in this book, Victor talks about how he and other individuals define their own value, define their own meaning in life. And Victor, this man, went through the Holocaust, says that he thinks the reason he survived is because he defined his own personal meaning. He chose to survive because he knew that with his existence and his continued existence, he would have something that he could give to others. It was that personal meaning, that personal value of his own life that allowed him to kind of withstand all of the negativities, all of the literal physical survival-based challenges that he needed to. So depending on what we believe, we can find ourselves in vastly different worlds. Two people can be the exact same, do the exact same things, but perceive themselves in a completely different way. One person might think, oh my gosh, I just walked my dog. That was awesome. That was a wonderful experience. And another person could say, oh, I just walked my dog. I had to wait 30 minutes. It took all this time. He pooped on the side of the road. So our beliefs really, really, really dictate our perception. It's not, it's not there's a fixed reality out there and we perceive it all the same. No, we choose how we perceive reality. And it's those choices that we make that really control the way we see in the way we feel about the world around us. So if you, if you want to go through a little exercise, try and take a moment and write down all of the things that you've done in this day so far. I've done it myself and I ended up coming up with this pretty lengthy list. There was like 20 or 30 things. Man, it made me feel so productive. But I want to take you all through an experience. So this time, if you want to pause the recording real quick, pause the podcast and write down a list of all of those things. Okay, we're back. Hopefully you actually took the time to write down your list. And now I want you to ask yourself this question. Of all of those things that you've written down, which ones are in alignment with your personal goals? Oh, it's a heavy one, folks. So... Uh, You got to be honest with yourself here. If you're not honest with yourself, you're not going to get any value out of this. But for myself, a lot, a lot of my items in my list were not in alignment with my goals. So one of the big goals for me is is to create things that have lasting value. And so for instance, uh, I drove a lot on my list. I played some video games. I wrote a blog post. I drank some beer. I smoked some weed. There's a lot of things in there that aren't in alignment with what I'm trying to accomplish. And that's okay, but 
I want to help people kind of bring their own actions and their own beliefs more into alignment. And so I think for me, one of the reasons that I have such this kind of uncongruence with my actions and my beliefs, it's because my own personal why is a little bit shaky. I'm still trying to discover why is it that I'm putting out this effort? Why is it that I'm exerting myself? And so we're gonna go through another really quick exercise. Uh, and hopefully this will give you a bit more insight into what it is that you're trying to do in this world and why, why you're trying to do these things. So start off by asking yourself these three questions. If you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? Go ahead and just take the first thing that comes to mind and write it down. If you had one extra day, what would you do? And then if you had one last day to live, what would you do? So three questions, three days. Your answer can be one thing, it can be as many things as you want. But we want to really, really, really imagine that our time on earth is limited. We have no time left. Just this day, just this moment. And then what would you do? So the next series is another few questions. What is one thing that really, really pisses you off? And then why? What is one thing that really frustrates you and why? Then what is the last thing that made you sad and why? So these questions are gonna help you understand a bit more clearly what you value as important. So the things that make you angry are gonna be things that you think are important but other people disregard as important. The things that are frustrating to you are the things that you wish you could change but you feel you can't. And the things that make you sad or pain that you see and perceive and are aware of in the world around you, but you haven't had an opportunity to change. So hopefully with these, with these exercises, you can find themes. Really what we're looking for is themes across the questions of what would you do before you die and across the questions of what things bother you. What we really want to do is find these core themes in our own personal lives so we can start taking those simple themes and extrapolating them. So maybe for instance, like one for me is I really care a lot about the environment. I care about the environment because I've had really, really transformative experiences in nature that have helped me grow as an individual. So my what is I care about the environment. My why is I want other people to be able to experience the same thing. And then my how, this is the next step, is maybe maybe I lead other people on nature experiences. Maybe I donate to a cause that helps preserve nature as an environmentalist cause. And so what, what we're really trying to do here is we all want to be finding and creating experiences that are in, in alignment with who we are. And so if you don't know why you feel as you do, then you're going to be kind of shooting blindly trying to figure out the things that are fulfilling to you. But I love nature and it's because it's given so much to me. I know my why. So as long as I know that why, then I can start choosing my behavior, choosing my actions <coughs> to fall in alignment with those things. So if you really, really want to get a lot of value out of these exercises, for 30 days, at least 10 days, at least 10 days, ask yourself every day, if I could only do one single thing before I died, what would I do? I did this for 30 days and I found some really, really, really exciting answers. And so what you can do is you can apply this really simple framework to your own life. Maybe you're trying to decide what's important to you. Maybe you're trying to decide or discover what, is, what you're passionate about. This simple, simple question is gonna help you find those answers. The, the fact is, the fact is we all 
for the most part, already know these answers. But what we really need is we need confirmation and approval to actually work towards them. So I'm going to kind of like wrap everything back together and say we, we live in this world. We are independent. We are our own entities. But at the end of the day, we are social creatures. And so our, our desire for social acceptance is so strong that we're willing to completely disregard our personal ambition just to fit in. That's normal and that's okay. I, I don't want you to be out there and be like, oh my gosh, I do that too. And I, wanna, I don't want you to feel bad about yourself because that's normal. It's literally a survival technique. So back, back in our, our ancestors days, way, way, way back, like if you were living as a caveman or a cavewoman and you found yourself ostracized from your community, that meant essentially certain death. Like if you were if you were a person that was just so chill, didn't give a fuck about anyone else, then you get ostracized by your tribe, you're going to die because you don't have the resources and you don't have like the team group uh, effort to really make like to create your caloric needs, to meet your caloric needs and to protect yourself. And so what happened is over time, all the people who didn't value social acceptance highly ended up being ostracized, doing acting in this way that caused them to be removed from their groups, and then they died. <laughs> and they didn't reproduce, they didn't pass on these genes. So natural selection led us to this current state where we all care so heavily about social acceptance that we're willing to give up our personal ambition. And so fortunately for most of us in the modern world, we're not existing in a state where we have these like life and death threats. For the most part, what we're now working on now is personal like actualization, self-actualization. And rather than struggling for survival, we're, str we're struggling for happiness. We're struggling to live fulfilling lives. And so what we need to do is we need to override our, our behavioral programming to a degree. And we need to value... We need to value society, we need to value community, but we need to do it in a manner where it's not limiting to us. Like if you are in a culture, if you're in a society, if you're in a group that says you can't be the person that you need to be in order to be happy, and there's two things that you need to do. One is you need to increase the personal sovereignty that you, pers that you experience and disregard or override that societal pressure and start living your own life. And the second is you need to find a different community. And so there's, there's, we've all, we've all had this experience in life where we're shining, we're doing our own thing. Maybe, maybe you're singing a song, maybe you're cooking, maybe you're dancing, maybe you're going and making art and someone else that tells you, Oh, that sucks, man. That's boring. That's bad. Well, that one instance is just a replication of this phenomenon that we all experience. And so yeah, to, to, to bring everything together, when you know why you're doing what you're doing, you have this backup, this kind of oomph, oomph in the back pocket that you can pull out and say, you know what, well, I'm doing this for me, I'm doing this for X, I'm doing this for Y, and I'm going to keep moving forward, I'm going to keep overcoming this social resistance, this social pressure, and I'm going to keep living my authentic life. And if you can do that, then you're winning, you're, you're the king, the queen of your own life. That's, that's what I really want to see other people do. And that's what we really need. We need a world full of actualized, fulfilled people. There's some really, really serious problems that we're facing now. Climate change, uh, economic systems around the world, uh, technology. Technology has its pros and cons. There's some real, real, real things out there that we're facing. And it's going to take people living uninhibitedly, creating and imagining uninhibitedly 
to solve these problems. So for whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons why we can succumb to peer pressure. But I applaud those of you who have stood up and have started living their own lives. And I'm excited for the rest of you that are on that path, that are kind of biding their time minute by minute, getting ready to take that first step. No matter what, you're gonna have to take that step. It's gonna have to come eventually. Maybe, maybe even wait until your deathbed. But it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be, a, it's gonna be scary, it's gonna be challenging, but it's gonna be worth it. So if today is your day, thank you. And if today is your day, I'm excited for you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Alt-Rich Podcast. Uh, really, really excited. We're actually about to start highlighting other individuals. We wanna tell the stories of people who have taken their own personal dream, their own personal ambition, and they have turned it into a lifestyle. They have turned it into their own reality. I wanna share these stories with you to inspire you, and also to give you some simple practical tips that you can use to implement these strategies in your own life. If there's anything that you wanna learn about, give us a shout out. You can find us on Instagram at thealt.rich. Or you can also message me. I don't know if I have a good contact information on this platform, but we'll find a way to make it happen. All right, I hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you soon. What's up, Alt-Rich fam? So we are here today. This is going to be our third episode. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a pretty cool concept. Um, and I've kind of titled it, Start Where You End. So the goal, of, the goal of this podcast is to teach people about ways that they can intentionally create and craft their own lifestyle. And so ideally what we're looking for is we're trying to find out what it is that we want and then we want to find a pathway to accomplishing or to getting to that, getting that kind of desired lifestyle. And so start where you end is a really interesting concept where you start where you end. So if you have a goal, what what I'm kind of trying to like hint at or suggest at is take that goal and work backwards step by step. So say you want to say you want to be become the PGA champion. If you want to become the PGA champion, I think that maybe the thing you do before that is you get second place in the PGA Tour, and then maybe you uh, win your first like minor event, and then maybe you get a coach, and then maybe you uh, start working on your mental game. And so incrementally, you can work backwards from that goal, and you can find all the prerequisite steps that you do before that. And essentially what, what we're going to do is we're going to create a list of all of the things that we need to do to get to where we want to be. So we're all we're all really kind of seeking after a desired lifestyle. Um, maybe you want to have more free time. Maybe you want to make more money. Maybe you want to have something different with your relationships or your personal life. And ultimately, what all of these things are, no matter what it is that you want, you can take that complex, intricate thing and turn it into a list, a list of actionable items. And so maybe you wanna make more income. That's a really, really simple one. You can just choose what you want in terms of the increase in your average income, and that can be your thing. Or maybe you want something more complex. Maybe you want to have a whole lifestyle change. Either way, you can break those things down and turn them into like a step-by-step list that we can actually start to work with. So I want you to have take a moment and go through kind of like a simple meditative exercise. And the goal of this is to kind of shift your mindset a little bit so that you're in a more optimistic state 
and you feel a bit more confident in yourself. Because one of the things that holds a lot of people back is they never really try and go after their goals because they believe they can't accomplish it. And if you don't actually believe you can accomplish something, you'll never really try. Or you'll never, you're never, you will never actually try. So take a moment and imagine what if you believed you could accomplish every single goal that you had? You could do anything that you ever wanted to do. You could have anything you ever wanted to have. Every time you tried something, you succeeded at it. How would that feel? Really try and embody that confidence and that self-efficacy. How would you act if you felt this way? How would you handle your responsibilities? And how would you live your life? Take a moment and really think about this. So if you could accomplish anything that you, that you tried, oh my gosh, my life would be so much different. All these things that like, I really, really wanted to do, I would just do because I, know, I would know that I could accomplish them. There wouldn't be any hesitation. There wouldn't be any doubt. Yeah, that would be a humongous shift. So again, like the main reason that people don't go after their dreams is because we believe that they are out of reach. So we're gonna do another really, really quick exercise. So I want you to take a moment and grab a piece of paper or grab your laptop or grab your cell phone. You're gonna be writing down a list. Okay, now that you're ready, I want you to write down every single thing that you want. Anything that comes to mind, write it down. Take as much time as you need to create your list. You can pause the podcast here, and then when you get back, we'll start again. Okay, perfect. So now look at your list. How big is it? When I did this exercise, I think I came up with like 30 things. It's really, really not that much. So the goal of this exercise is for us to really quantify what it is we want so we can look at it from an objective perspective and really start to understand that these things that for a lot of us we see are out of reach are actually very, very accomplishable. So when you change the way you look at your problems, they become much less of problems. Now the next thing I want you to do is take a moment and just do a really, really quick estimate of how long each item on your list would take. Maybe you want to buy a new car and that might take three months of saving. Maybe you want to go on vacation and that would take talking to your boss and saving a little bit or just using some of the money you already have. So take a moment and figure out how long it would take you not to do the actual thing, but to get to where you could and actually accomplishing each item on that list. Once you're done adding everything up, or go ahead and add everything up and come up with an actual number. So when I did this, I came up with 192 months. Now, that seems like a lot, but I'm 27 right now, and 192 months is something like 15 years. And all of the things that I could imagine, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, all the things that I could imagine ever wanting to do, I could accomplish in the next 15 years. And that leaves me at 42, and there's nothing left for me to do in life. <laughs> so that was really exciting to me, because like some of these things are like really far out, things that like I would never really imagine that I could accomplish. And, and obviously this is an estimate, this is kind of like a quick guess, but just with this kind of simple basic exercise, it sh really shifted my mindset from like, oh my gosh, I'll never be able to do that to, oh wow, I actually could accomplish something like that. 
And so when you look at your list like this, you can see that all of these things that you want, even if they're completely unimaginable, are actually, at the end of the day, they're all accomplishable. And so when we have this kind of perspective, you're able to really, really, really hone in on what it is that you want to do, and then you can start accomplishing those things. So that's pretty much it for this podcast. But what I want you to take away is that you all have the power to change your lives. Like it's a complete, it's a mindset. Now, I'm not going to say that you're going to do one thing and your whole life is radically going to be changed overnight. No, what it is, is it's a kind of a systematic and sustainable way of changing how you act. And in changing how you act, you can change anything, any single thing about your life. And then when you're able to break down your goals into a simple list like this, then over time, as you accomplish things one by one by one, you can start to see these really radical and total, total shifts in who you are and the way you're living in the world. So this is going to take work, and that's why it's really important to not really rush into anything. Like, what we're talking about is the rest of our lives. Hopefully, hopefully we all have many years left to live. And so rather than trying to set up an unsustainable like behavior change, creating your 30-day super fast lose weight diet, think about what is one thing that I know I can do every day? What is one thing that I know no matter what, even if I'm tired, if I'm exhausted, if I've had a bad day, I know I can do. And then take that one thing and start doing that. When you, when you look at it this way, you're able to have a lot more longevity in the changes that you're creating. So I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of it. And as always, leave us a message. If you have anything that you want to learn more about, you can find us on Instagram at the alt rich. Um, yeah. And I hope you enjoyed. All right. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Bye.